0: Hi friends, welcome to The Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walked by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. My guest today is Cassie Kerrigan. Cassie is a wife and a mother to two babies on earth and two in heaven. She is also a licensed professional counselor in Colorado Springs, Colorado. In this interview, Cassie shares about the loss of her newborn son, Caleb, last year. She also shares how God is doing amazing things even in the midst of unimaginable suffering. So here is my interview with Cassie Mm Kerrigan. Cassie, thanks so much for joining today. I am so excited to be talking to you and just to hear a little bit about your story and what's been going on in your life. Yes,
1: thank you for having me. I'm so honored to get to be on here and share just our story and our family's story. Yeah. And like she said, my name is Cassie Kerrigan, and we live here in Colorado Springs, Colorado my husband was in the air force but now he's in the reserves but that's what brought us out of here but I am oh, originally okay. from Texas so I will always claim Texas <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah where in Texas are you from just curious I'm from Denton oh, right okay. north of Dallas so oh Q- right W area awesome yeah Cassie this is the first time you and I have really chatted in Let's see, two thousand three. It's like seventeen years, I think. (laughs) That's a crazy thought. It's been a while. Cassie was a counselor with me at Kids Across America, and we both worked at the middle school camp. And I've had a couple of people on that are connected with KA. It's just an amazing. Yeah, it's an amazing organization, and I've made incredible relationships through that. Even folks that maybe we don't see regularly, or maybe it's been a really long time, but kind of keep in touch through things like Facebook. So I'm just, I'm so glad to have pe- people hear about what's going on with you. So tell me, um, I know you said you live in Colorado. Tell me about your yourself, your family, what you've been up to these days.
1: Yes, we have two kids. Well, we have more than, we actually have four kids and you're going to get to hear all about that. And then we have one on the way. Wow. That's exciting. That's awesome. Congrats. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. And I'm getting close. I'm like around 33 weeks and just counting down the days. Mm -hmm. And my, like I said, my husband was in the Air Force, but he's an engineer. That's kind of what he does. And then I am a therapist Mm -hmm. and I work at a group practice here in town. Mm -hmm. And I see all different types of people adolescents all different ages of women I work with trauma I do EMDR I do marriage therapy so I kind of my hand in a lot of different areas of therapy and I love it it's very uh, honoring humbling job Mm. to get to walk alongside people as they you know work to be the healthiest versions of themselves my kids are we have a daughter named Adlai she's four Mm. and we have a son named Riker and he's three. Mm. So we, I only work part-time. Yeah. <laughs> and during this whole pandemic thing, we, we have been extremely careful because I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. And given all that we've been through
0: mm-hmm.
1: that has definitely changed our perspective on things. Yeah. But we are, my husband and I are both trying to work from home uh-huh. currently with okay. no child care. Mm. So that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that seems very like you'd probably get a whole lot done. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's kind of what our day to day looks like right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we are trying to make that work and, you know, our kids were going to be in preschool. We decided not to do that. I mean, thankfully there it's just preschool, yeah. you know, you know, I just bless you, all you moms who are, have kids in grade school and yeah you know, our homeschooling or, you know, just trying to make that work right yeah. now.
0: Are the, are the schools around you opening up in person? Or are they doing more online?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a mix depending yeah. on what district you're in. And, you know, some of the ones who have been online are now transitioning to in person. Uh-huh. So some of them have a delayed start. Some have been in person.
0: Okay. That's, uh, an interesting challenge, I will say. I'm I'm teaching right now, and I'm doing both at the same time in the same class periods, and it it's a whole different side of things. I'm a get up and like be demonstrative kind of person, and that just that doesn't really translate well. So it's a, it's a challenge for everyone. But yeah, you're right. Everybody's mm-hmm. making hard decisions for their family and trying to pick what's best. And I think everyone's going a little bit crazy with all of this and whether you're staying home or your kids are staying home or you're sending them to school or whatever it's it's a challenge I'm sure hopefully people are going and seeing therapists a little bit more often because of that do you feel like you're you're seeing more um, people related to those kind of issues oh definitely and we
1: when the pandemic started we immediately transitioned into doing all teletherapy mm-hmm. and thankfully that's it's made each state become more lenient with their laws with okay. teletherapy which I think will be a really good thing in the end
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we're only open now to about 25 capacity but I'm not going in just because I'm pregnant mm-hmm. um but we have not seen any type of decrease, even though we transitioned to online because there is just, there is a need for, for support right now
0: in that way. Mm, That's awesome. I, I love therapists and I appreciate the counselors in my life and the ones that we have seen. Everybody in my family has seen counselors at various points of time and, you know for various lengths of time and they are they've been so good for us for dealing with hard stuff with our kids and marriage and all that and so my hats are my hats off to all the counselors out there that especially right now dealing with a whole new set of issues on top of this the daily day, day-to-day hard stuff um Cassie can you yeah. tell can you tell me about how you came to know Jesus
1: I grew up in a Christian home, going to church. I went to a Christian school as well. So it was, it was always very familiar to me, the Bible, the gospel, Jesus, but it really became real for me when probably around middle school, high school. And I mean, those are just hard. Those can be hard times Mm -hmm. anyways. And I was looking for a lot of worth identity and fulfillment in friends, and sports. And there were times where I just didn't have friends for certain reasons. Mm. I was not that great at sports, even though I love them and I worked so hard. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to be on the bench a lot. And of course, at the time, that was very devastating for mm-hmm. me. And now looking back, I'm, it's you know, not a huge deal. <laughs> That's <And good. laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I didn't go to become a professional athlete. So, Uh-oh. you know, Yeah, <laughs> I think, you know, through that process, that's, that's the, it, when it became real for me is that Jesus is, he does give me these things that I'm searching for. He gives me worth. He gives me companionship. Uh-huh. He gives me a uh, purpose and hope. Yeah. And even in difficult things. So that's really when it became real for me. And I decided to commit my life to him.
0: Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, I think um, I'm seeing that I teach high school, like I said, and I see a lot of that looking for identity, for worth. And um, I think that's part of the reason that that's why a lot of folks are drawn to Jesus at that age is there's, there's so much need there. And I mean, that doesn't go away with time. Just sometimes people find other ways to fulfill that. But I think that's awesome. And that's probably spared you from a lot of really hard stuff coming to Jesus at a young age.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely.
0: Awesome. Um, so about a year and a half ago, you found out you were pregnant um, with your child, Caleb, your son. So can you tell me about your pregnancy? Yes, maybe it was more than a year and a half ago. I don't think my math adds up there.
1: <laughs> I know I have to remember, I'm, yeah, this is my fifth time to be pregnant, so wow. they all in five years, so they all seem to run oh together but but I became pregnant with him. I think it was December of two thousand eighteen, okay, right around there anyways, so however long ago that was, yeah, <laughs> and Everything was fine. And, you know, we had a genetic test done just because our insurance pays for it. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'd rather know than not know if something's wrong. It came back normal. When we went in for our halfway point, that 20-week mark, to have an ultrasound and an anatomy scan, they found some things he had a single artery in the umbilical cord. You're supposed to have two arteries, one vein. And they, they said you have a single artery, but this is usually 90% of the time. This doesn't have any impact on anything. Mm. And, and then we went in a few weeks later and they had noticed, Hey, we think he might have a heart defect. So we went to a pediatric cardiologist He said, I can see what they're saying, but I honestly think it will be fine, but we won't really know until he's here if he has this. Mm. And if he does have it, it's really fixable. It was, it's the heart defect you want. It was a coarctation. So I thought, okay, no big deal. He probably doesn't have it. If he does, we fix it. Normal life, we move on. Yeah. Fast forward a few weeks later, we had another ultrasound and they saw that he might have some type of GI issues and they thought he had short femurs. They thought he had some type of kidney thing. Mm -hmm. And then that's when they told me he had down syndrome, Mm -hmm. even though we had already had a genetic test testing for that, that had come back negative. Mm -hmm. So we ended up doing further testing and that test came back negative negative. Okay. and they trust that test a lot with specifically with down syndrome. Mm-hmm. So at that point they said, okay, he doesn't have this, but we still think he may have this heart defect and this GI issue. Right. But again, the GI issue fixable one time fix. He, you know, go in and kind of fix this blockage. Okay. So that, that's kind of where things left off before he was born. Mm hmm. So We were going in thinking, <clears throat> okay, maybe a heart defect, maybe a GI issue, but it's fixable. Mm-hmm. So that is what the pregnancy looked like. It was very up and down. That was definitely a summary. But there, you know, we're in Colorado Springs, so at some point they had sent us to Denver to get more testing. I had a fetal MRI. Even mm-hmm. all of that MRI came back negative for all those things that they had said. Wow! So it was very confusing. Mm-hmm. It was, he has all this wrong, and then mm-hmm. now he doesn't. But then he might have this, but if he does, it's going to be fine. And that's kind of where we landed in the mm-hmm. pregnancy.
0: Um, so can you tell us after, um, you know, you go in to deliver, and did everything go normal during the delivery?
1: Yeah, I I ended up having to have an emergency C-section okay. because my placenta abrupted. They induced me at 36 weeks because I had an extreme amount of amniotic
0: fluid. Oh, okay.
1: And that was because of his blockage in his GI system. Mm-hmm. He wasn't processing the amniotic fluid. So we were pretty positive that he was going to have this blockage. Yeah because of that and so that is why my placenta abrupted because the fluid and that was they knew that that was the risk so I ended up having to have an emergency c-section but he was fine and he did great I mean they you know everybody was prepared for you know a NICU baby and he was going to be that anyways just because he was early and we're in Colorado so you have to you know, account for the altitude here.
0: Oh, I never really thought about that with delivery. I guess that makes a big difference because of the, maybe the oxygen saturation. Yep, exactly. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we, we have all these
1: videos and you can hear the NICU nurses talking about how great he is and we don't do boring babies and he's boring and, mm. you know, so, I mean, he, He did really well for about the first, I would say like 12 hours of his life.
0: Okay. So um, what started to happen after that? He
1: was born on a Friday afternoon and then come Saturday morning, we, unfortunately, right, we're in different rooms because he's in the NICU and my husband left to go home and get our kids and bring them up to meet. You know Caleb, their mm-hmm. brother, and my nurse thought, "Let's, hey, I want to take you down to his room so you can see him before everybody gets here." And so we go down, and when I get to his room, there was probably eight people in his room, and I wow. immediately knew that this something's wrong. Mm. And they actually had a doctor from Denver, a pediatric cardiologist, on telemedicine, and they were giving him an echo on his heart. And they confirmed that he did have this heart defect, this coarctation. And they told us we have to immediately transfer him to Denver. Okay. Because it would require surgery. And, you know, they, we don't, Colorado Springs doesn't really have that kind of care. Mm -hmm. So that day he got transferred to Denver. And then once we got there, He, you know, but I had a C-section, so they wouldn't let me out. Yeah, they wouldn't let you
0: transfer with Mm -hmm. him, right? I'm guessing. Yeah, and they
1: won't let you go in the ambulance, anyways. Okay. But they said my husband could follow them, but my husband chose to stay with me because I just had a C-section, and so he, you know, we just there was these really difficult, hard choices. So we had to send our son by himself, Mm -hmm. you know, and we weren't able to come up there until the next day when they let me out. Yeah. of the hospital uh, so there there was all these incredibly difficult moments that you don't ever want to have to deal with or choose as a mother right and I just mm-hmm. wanted to go I just was like let me go I'll be fine yeah. <laughs> um, you know and so once he got there and once we got there they started to try to figure out what was going on potentially with his GI system mm-hmm. and they ended up realizing that he like basically had a full blockage um, where his stomach and his small intestine connected okay it's it's called the basically a pyloric atresia okay. and so a couple of days after he was born he had a laparoscopic surgery to fix that okay and and it went well mm-hmm. he did really well he came you know they have to put him on a ventilator because he's going under. Um, He came off the ventilator really easily. And now we were just waiting for him to recover from the surgery, hopefully try to start eating and then get ready for heart surgery. So that was the plan. Well, probably eight days after that surgery, we're still waiting for a bowel movement and nothing was happening. And Mm -hmm. they, one of our nurses actually found that he had a perforated anus basically meaning like his, his large intestine did not connect to his anus and that canal. It just kind of stopped. They call it like a blind pouch. That's, Mm That's the term It just stops and it was missed because it, you know, most of the time, if you have a an perforated anus, you don't have like a little hole there. You know, yeah. and, it's, they and used he to did.
0: Check, they check rectal it, temperatures they, to do that. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. Yep. And when they checked, you know, you know, and they don't do rectal temperatures anymore because they even said if we were still doing that, yeah, we would have found this immediately because when they went up, it only went in like one millimeter.
0: Mm.
1: And so it was missed, and like it would, it could have been that first surgery he had, all of it could have been fixed in one surgery. Okay. So that was very defeating mm. and we thought we were doing really good at that point. And we had had a third genetic test done after he was born on his own blood that checked for more things mm-hmm. than the genetic tests that were done in the womb.
0: Yeah.
1: Cause we had two done in the womb so we have a third one now. They've all come back normal, you know. But they kept saying, even like, "Oh, we think he has De George syndrome." Like all these syndromes, I didn't know what they were. Yeah. But everything kept coming back negative.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Well, when we found this second blockage in his GI system, they really encouraged us to do a fourth genetic test, which we thought we had already done all of them. Yeah, and. This genetic test, it's called a whole exome. I mean, it's like the end-all be-all of genetic tests. It literally looks at every gene in your body. It's very extensive and it takes typically eight weeks to mm. get back the results. Okay. And we were, you know, I mean, we were not in our right minds, first of all, but we were mm. also very upset. We felt like they kept telling us, like trying to imply that something was wrong with him. Mm-hmm. And we that was hard for us because... We've already seen three normal genetics tests. He looks normal, you know, like what, why are you keep saying these things about our baby and everything you've said about him up to this point has been wrong. Mm -hmm. But thankfully there was a genetics counselor who talked us into getting this fourth test done. Mm -hmm. Praise God. That ends up being a really big thing later on in his life. Yeah. He has his second surgery to fix that imperforate anus. And they basically mm-hmm. just brought out his colon or his intestines, you know, outside of his body. And he had an ostomy bag. Okay. And the plan was that they would, we would have that for a while, come back around eight, when he was eight months old, when he was bigger. And then they would connect his large intestine to his anus, basically.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then after that surgery, he did not... He stopped doing, he wasn't doing well. He was not able to, and you know, his oxygen levels had always been a little bit lower because of his heart defect. Yeah. And, but after that second surgery, he really, he just couldn't recover. They took him off the ventilator and they had to put him, they ended up having to put him back on it Mm -hmm. because he just, he just couldn't keep his oxygen levels up. At that point, he also got um, a condition called pulmonary hypertension. It's a lung heart issue, Mm -hmm. difficulty in breathing, swelling in the
0: heart, and everything kind of backs up. What? Everything kind of backs up in that area. So, yes. Yep. Yep. Mm
1: -hmm. And nobody knew why because his heart defects shouldn't cause pulmonary hypertension. There are Mm -hmm. certain heart defects that would cause that but not his. So that was very confusing to everyone. Yeah. And they thought it was some type of infection that had caused it, but they kept testing. Everything kept coming back negative, you know, and yet they just put him on antibiotics as a preventative measure in case he did have some type of infection. And at that point we decided to actually transfer him hospitals. He was already at a hospital in Denver, but we decided to transfer him to uh, Denver Children's because they have a pulmon- they have a specific pulmonary hypertension team, mm. and I mean that was a huge decision because he was extremely sick and mm. having to be transferred, and he was tiny. And he was he was four pounds three ounces because we have tiny babies, and he mm. was born a little early, and we we're starting over with a whole new team mm-hmm. and trying to catch people up. But we thought that was the best planned for him in that moment mm-hmm. and pretty soon after we got there he he just couldn't keep his oxygen levels up he kept crash. he would crash at certain times and mm-hmm. and then they would you know he would come back but he was pretty low and eventually and they had talked to us about this they put him on ECMO, which is a, it's a heart lung machine, mm-hmm. but it is the most extreme form of life support. Yeah. And, you know, they basically take all of his blood out of his body and run it through a machine that operates as his heart in his lungs and then puts it back into his body because it allows his heart and lungs to have a break. Mm-hmm. So the hope was, I mean, he needed it to live. I mean, he was going to die if they didn't put him on that but the hope was is that whatever was going on whatever infection that it would give him time and that we could get him off that fairly soon and then again go into heart surgery Mm -hmm. and he was on ECMO for about five or six days how how old is he at
0: this point I'm just I'm trying to keep an uh, a timeline sort of probably
1: like 21 days okay old yep and you know, he kind of was very up and down on ECMO. We'd have a good day and then we have a bad day. He started, we had some ureter issues. And I think, honestly, he probably had some type of defect in there, but it wasn't the priority at the time. So I don't know exactly what it was, but that was a problem. He was peeing like the amount of like an, what adult, like three times what an adult would pee in a day. Oh, wow. And it just wouldn't stop. And they didn't, again, they didn't know why. There was... So, there was a lot of issues that were going on, and he continued to struggle with his blood pressure, his oxygen levels, you know, even though he was on ECMO, which should help with that. Well, it was the day before he died, we got that genetic test back, and thankfully, the doctor at the other hospital had expedited the test for us. She did not tell us this, but I think she knew what he had, maybe not what he had, but that it was. Whatever he had, it was very severe and they needed it. She needed that information now. And again, it normally takes eight weeks and we got it back in probably less than two weeks Mm -hmm. because she had expedited it. And the doctors brought us into the conference room. And so they had gotten his results back and it showed that he had a deletion. It's called the Fox F1 gene. And uh, this gene is connected to this disease called alveolar capillary dysplasia with misalignment of pulmonary veins. And basically what that means is that he cannot oxygenate his own body, his own blood. And it's 100% fatal. There's actually one girl in the UK who I think she's eight now, and she got a lung transplant when she was nine months old. And she's the only surviving person who has this disease. Yeah. And, you know, Caleb, he didn't have that kind of time. Mm -hmm. He would never have qualified for lungs because he had all these other defects. And so, you know, but, you know, for the most part, it is this disease is 100% fatal because you can't oxygenate your own body. Then, you know, it's, it's very you can't you can't live. Mm hmm. And so at that point, you know, and I was conf comp- I remember thinking, okay, you're telling me he's gonna die, like when? You know, I was thinking maybe it's gonna be a while or you know, I just I just didn't know what that meant. And basically they were like, Oh, like tomorrow, like as soon as you decide, basically. Oh my gosh. And And I was like, decide what, and you know, taking him off life support, basically, Mm -hmm. because that's what he was on, life support with this ECMO. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so they told us they won't change. They weren't going to change any of his medications. They weren't going to do anything with the ECMO. So that way, our, we would have time to say goodbye. And, you know, our kids were about an hour and a half away, but we had brought them up a lot. My parents were watching them. They had, they had come up a lot. They had actually stayed with us in Denver for a while. During those 27 days, mm-hmm. and so they had been around him at least probably 12 of those days. I would about wow. So, thankfully, we had that time we brought everybody in to say goodbye. I mean, trying to explain to your three and two year old that their brother's gonna die and like they have to say goodbye. I mean, it is you know, it's like a mother's worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you're wanting to walk with them well in it, but you're also devastated because your other son is about to die. And, yeah. you know, it's like, how, how do you do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do we do this in a way that doesn't just destroy us all forever?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and we had friends come up and it was very special. And at some point that day we had some friends come in Our family had already left. We had spent a lot of time. They had already left. And we went back there and his blood pressure had dropped. I mean, I want to say it was like 22 over 18, pretty much non-existent. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And they were like, we can't sustain these numbers. So, I mean, they had not changed anything and he was dying on life support. Mm. And praise God that we knew what he had. Mm-hmm. And it literally, we found out like less than 24 hours before, because if we wouldn't have known, I think they would have tried to save him. They had talked about taking him into heart surgery on ECMO Wow. to try to help. I mean, and, and so I'm grateful he did not have to suffer more than he already had. Yeah. And I'm grateful that we had time to, cause again, I don't know if our kids would have come up that day to see him and then, you know, and then they wouldn't have been able to say goodbye. There was just, I can see God's kindness in the midst of a horrible situation that we had that insight. Yeah. Uh, And so our friends left and then my husband and I just spent, we, you know, turned off the life support and we, we had about, he lived probably for about another hour or so. Um, Yeah. And that's, that's the story of Caleb. And again, Mm -hmm. that was 27 days and he was in the hospital the whole time. He never came home.
0: Yeah,
1: It was one thing after the other for 27 days.
0: Yeah. Cassie, I'm I'm trying to keep it together, but that is, and I just, I can't, I can't imagine. So can you kind of explain what's going through? I mean, that was very much like, this is the facts of the story tell me what yeah. was going through your your mind in that time in that 27 days yeah you know it feels it feels like you're in a a
1: sprint for 27 days and if you're running for 27 days it should be a marathon yeah right and yet it was a sprint and it was survival yeah. you know and i am very you know, I can be very strong in my personality opinionated, and sometimes that serves me well. Sometimes that doesn't serve me well. Mm-hmm. But I was in every conversation the doctors had. I was at every round. I was asking questions. I was pushing back on them. you know, and so it was fighting, yeah. right That is what I was fighting for my son, and I had just had this emergency c-section. So I am, you know, I have no time to recover. Yeah. I'm, you know, and here I am and it was survival fighting. It was trying to find hope, right? Mm-hmm. Cause nothing felt there were moments that felt hopeful, but they were, they were pretty few and far between if I'm being honest in yeah. those 27 days. And, that kind of battle emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, <clears throat> but then you feel like you can't really go to that emotion. You know, you, you go to that emotional place cause you can't help it, but you can't just sit in that because you have to keep fighting for your son.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was this, you know, it was really a battle mm-hmm. the whole time for, for us, for our son, For our family. We were trying to navigate the whole time of like keeping our kids connected to their brother because we thought he was going to come home. I mean, we didn't know what his life was going to look like, but we, you know, there was, you know, until until those last few days, no one had said anything different. Mm -hmm.
0: So how did your family do with that? How did your kids do and your, you know, your husband, um, As a whole, how did you guys do in that time?
1: I mean, you know, I look back and I think, oh, we, we, I know we did the best we could. Yeah. You know, when they were, when our kids and my parents were up in Denver, we were in and out of the hospital a lot because we were like, oh, let's take the kids to the museum and then we'll come back and then we'll, and now I look back and, of course, if I would have known that I was only going to have 27 days with Caleb, I would have never left the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> and and so there's there's hard things like that. Or you think back and you're like, okay, how do we do that? But we're also trying to include them in this because this is their story as well. This is their brother. Yeah. And, I mean, it was very difficult. And at some point when things started to get really bad, we told my parents, we we just, y'all have got to go back to the Springs, we, we have to be here all day, every day, you know, the distraction of the other two is just too much. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But, you know, I think kids are very resilient and, you know, they experience that differently than I do. And that's something I've had to continue to remind myself of is that they're the emotions that I feel are not the same type of ones they're feeling, Mm -hmm. but I can easily put that on them, Mm -hmm. you know? And, yeah, I mean it's 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 definitely affected us moving forward in a way that I mean it has brought us closer together. Yeah. For sure. It has, you know, my husband and I see our kids differently now. I mean, our perspective, I mean, we're just so grateful that these two are here and yeah. alive. And that they have no issues and, you know, I mean it's it's really changed that for us. It's also, I mean, my kids talk about heaven. All the time,
0: mm.
1: you know, and which is a beautiful thing that's come from this. Yeah. And, and we talk about heaven way more now, too, <laughs> than we ever used to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so those are the things, some of the ways it has affected us. And, you know, I'm mm. trying to grieve. And then I'm also trying to walk beside my children as they grieve and allow them that space, give them that time whenever they bring it up, we let them, we talk about it with them. And I, there are days where I'm like, I do not want to talk about this. Don't bring me the book about the baby who dies. I do not want to read it. I don't want to look at Caleb's pictures Yeah, <laughs> it's too much. But of course I always say yes, because I know they're trying to process through, you know, they put, and thankfully being a therapist, this helps me mm-hmm. my, what I know and my job helped me to navigate this. And, they play dead baby, you know, and a lot of kids will play doctor. That's very normal. But for a four and three year old to play dead baby, I would say that's not necessarily normal, but it has been their normal. Yeah. And you know, everything I mean, lets us yell at them and tell them this, quit playing that game. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I let them play it because they're just, they're working it out and they're trying to process and to them, it's not an emotional game. It's just very matter of fact.
0: Yeah. I I I mean I can't put myself in the mind of a you know three year old, but I I would guess there's a lot of they're just it's almost like as if somebody moves away, like there's they're they're not here, they're they're somewhere else, and so to them it's like heaven is this amazing place, kind of like moving to I don't know Florida, like this is my 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 brother is somewhere else, I'm not going to see him for a long time, but. I'm so excited about the place he's in. It sounds like it's incredible. And um, whereas we see as adults, the like loss of this child's future and the memories that you had hoped to make with them. I guess a a kid's not going to process in that way because (laughs) they barely have memories of things in the past, you know, but um, I think that's, that's. I mean, that must have been really challenging. But I think, in a lot of ways, that's that's good for changing our focus. You know, sometimes to to see things in that way. Like he is in some place that's amazing, and we are going to be reunited. Right. And um, yes. yeah, I mean, it's just it's a gift sometimes to see that perspective. And um, I think it's incredible that you, being a counselor, helped you to to go through this differently. It doesn't make it like it's easy or like something right. that you can bypass all the steps of grieving or that you ever get out of that grief cycle. But, um, yeah, just the the impact that that must've had was, yeah, incredible for you. Um, an incredible thing for God to, to give you, but, um, do you feel like you kind of mentioned some of it, but like processing through that as a, a counselor, um, how did you, how did you sort of do that? Did that, does it, does it, affect your work do you mean do you feel like it's affecting you um in the way that you handle your clients definitely and you know i think there could be a
1: potential for people to see therapists as exempt or immune from grief Mm -hmm. (laughs) because this is what we do we know about it and and that is far from the truth mm-hmm. and we are not exempt from that. And so I have, I have really, but I also know the need for grieving and grieving mm-hmm. well. So I have, I really tried to do that. And I, and that is a way my, my job has impacted my grief process is just reminding myself of why I have to do this. Yeah. And I definitely have, I see my clients differently now and especially those that have any type of loss, right? Mm -hmm. I I feel so much more for them
0: and connect with them emotionally
1: more than I did before.
0: Yeah. So Cassie, we're about a year since Caleb passed. Um, What's been the biggest blessing during this time? That's a great question.
1: <laughs> I think my right there, a lot of times it feels like, well, there is none. <laughs> um, but again, of course, I know that that's not true. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest blessings is, you know, anytime I get to share his story, share Caleb's story, share our family's story, that has been a blessing for my soul. It is helpful in my healing process. And whether that's on a podcast or with a friend, Mm -hmm. you know, one-on-one that those times are so meaningful to me. And they, it feels like it brings purpose to our son's story, our family story. It it brings, it gives witness Mm -hmm. to his life and the importance of his life. Another really practical blessing for us and every family would do this differently. And I have no judgment for however you choose to do it because there is no handbook. This is not, how do you do this? But we have stayed as much as we can connected to Caleb's doctors and nurses. Mm. And that, that has been a blessing for us because they knew him in a way that no one else did. Yeah. And And honestly, not a lot of people got to meet him. Mm -hmm. You know, even a lot of our friends here never came up because they thought he was coming home at some point.
0: Yeah.
1: And to stay connected with them, you know, and for people who fought for him, like I did, like we did, Mm -hmm. has been a really a huge blessing. And, you know, COVID has made that hard. We tried to go up there. We brought bagels on the day that he was born, his birthday, and then to one hospital and then the, we brought bagels up to a, the other hospital the day that he died. Thankfully the nurse, mm-hmm. some nurses and doctors who worked with him came out and we got to talk to them for a little bit. Cause you know, we can't go in right now. Yeah. Um, but that has been a big blessing. And then I would say our community and our just people to having the support that we've had has been a huge blessing. Mm
0: that's 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 awesome i i've had you know i worked as um a labor and delivery nurse for a long time and mm-hmm. um every once in a while we would get someone that came back and it was always nice when you get to see those babies you didn't think that they were going to make it and then you see how big and grown they are now but to know that even though this place brings back painful memories you are showing gratitude in your you're also showing that, you know, that they, they mattered, and that, you know, we go home and we remember the hard stuff and um, there's not a way to just flip a switch and move past it. But to know that, you know, you made a difference whether or not the outcome was what we wanted is, that's huge. I, I can only imagine how, I mean, I know, I know how that feels to some degree, but to see that, you know, coming back a whole year later is that's that's awesome. And to tra- and to travel to do that. It's not like this hospital's down the street. That's that's a that's a really big gift. And I um I applaud that. I think that that's that's awesome. And that's a great way to honor your son and honor those that that cared about him or that's yeah. you know got to spend some time with him. So what are some things that help you to remain faithful to Jesus in the hard times?
1: I would love to say that's easy, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a fight. Yeah. And, but in the end, I think I, and, you know, there have been times where I've done this in my life yeah. before all of this happened, but I've had to do it now in a way that's more consistent and more intense than ever before. And what I mean is, Every day, Mm -hmm. making a choice to believe what I know is true, even if I don't feel it. Right. And again,
0: I think my work helps with this. Yeah, that sounds like something I've heard my counselors say before. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But there is so much power in that because I still believe Jesus to be who he says he is. I still Mm -hmm. believe him to be good. Now, does that mean I feel like he's good in some of these moments? No, mm-hmm. definitely not. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm like, really, this does not feel good mm-hmm. in any way, and and so making that choice—it's a conscious choice. It's effort. It's yeah. it's a fight to make that choice each day to believe what I know is true even if I don't feel it. And, uh, you know, a meaningful passage for me in this process has been, I think it's in John six where, you know, some people had, you know, Jesus had said certain things. They didn't like it. So they kind of had left following him. And then Jesus looks at his, you know, his disciples and says, are y'all going to leave now too? And Peter is like, where else will we go? You, you hold eternal life. Yeah. And, That is so true, especially in a place of despair, like we have been of pain and loss that we have experienced. Where else could we ever go to find any kind of hope?
0: Yeah.
1: And so those, I think those things have been helpful in keeping me close to Jesus, you know, and I credit that mainly to the Holy spirit keeping Mm -hmm. me close because I could have easily, I think had many reasons just to like good reasons to say I'm done.
0: Yeah,
1: (laughs) And thankfully Jesus has not allowed that to happen. And I'm very grateful for that. Mm.
0: So any favorite Bible verses or stories that um, have been encouraging in this time?
1: Yeah you know, lamentations, that was one of the first places I went, just the lament aspect, and especially chapter three, you know, those kind of first 20 verses or so, Jeremiah is, he's incredibly honest and raw, and he does not hold back. I mean, he's like, God, you have made me a target for your arrows, Mm. and you're shooting them at me. I mean, there's the language in that I connected with so much and I'm like, okay, if he said it and it's in the Bible, then I can say it. Yeah, <laughs> And, you know, he's lamenting the affliction he has experienced from Israel's rebellion, refusal of God, right. All of those things. But, you know, he talks about living in this darkness and feeling dead inside and God is breaking my bones, you know, and it just, it, that the word choice there I resonated so much with and then you know about he turns in kind of midway through that chapter to but I remember that God is faithful and I know he's faithful because he has this covenant with us and his love and he cannot turn from that yeah and and he continues to remind himself of that, even though he's in this despair. And so that, that has been helpful for me because now I feel like I live in this world of tension all the time of joy and sorrow mm-hmm. of life and death. Right. Mm-hmm. Because yes, some of our children have died, but we still have two that are living. Right. And mm-hmm. I still have my husband. Like there are a lot of things that I have in my life that are good and blessings. Yeah. And I think that chapter really captures that tension well of Mm -hmm. despair and difficulty and affliction and suffering. And yet a reminder of God's faithful love that his mercies are new each day. Yeah.
0: Well, I have to say you're my first guest to quote lamentations as (laughs) you're encouraging or verses that you resonate with. (laughs) That's, that's (laughs) awesome. I mean, I, but it's it's such you're right there's so much that i could see connections in what you're saying and what you're going through and to know that you know this guy was called by god to something really hard and he still right. he stayed faithful and he but he expressed what he's going through and mm-hmm. you know you can i'm not wrong for feeling like there's arrows being thrown at me or i'm not wrong for feeling like a target but what i choose to do with that and I and I mean coming back to the counseling thing. This is what do you, you know, you can feel all these things, but what are you going to do with that? Like what where are you going to go from there? You you know, you mentioned in the you know, before about Peter and you know, he knew that Jesus was the basically the only source of hope that there is. He's the, he's the one who holds eternal life. You there are lots of people that go through difficult stuff like you've been through and they're not they're not looking for that hope they just choose to sit in the sorrow um forever sometimes and um i think it's you know it's a testament to to god's faithfulness i mean if you without god you know where would you be and i mean y- there's just there's just so much darkness and that that could be the focus of what you're you're doing with your life post you know post caleb and I think it's amazing that you are choosing hope in this and, you know, praise God for that. Um, How has going through this changed um, your view of God and his character?
1: You know, I think I'm still figuring that out, honestly. I I still think I'm in process of that. But, you know, God has always been very real to me which I'm grateful for, but I do think this experience has made God even more real for me because I, I need him to be more real for me now than I've ever needed him to be. I need my heart, my soul, my mind, my body need his love, his mercy, his grace, his comfort, his hope, and his redemption and restoration more in it and in a deeper way than I've ever needed it before
0: Mm.
1: and I think it's it's given me and I and I hope that this continues to be true as time goes on but I I think he has given me eyes that see things now in a more spiritual way almost this idea of seeing the unseen Mm. more because I have experienced life and death in really both of those things in really meaningful and intense ways and holding my children in my arms who lived and then holding my children in my arms as they die. Mm. And those moments are so awful and horrible, but they're also very sacred and holy. And, you know, people talk about that veil Between heaven and earth. And really, in those moments, that's truly when that veil is so thin. I mean, it's right there. Mm. And I think, you know, I see things now kind of through almost the eyes of life and death. And that can seem maybe a little bit morbid, but I don't mean it to be. And it's more of even, you know, when God created the world, there was no death, there was no sin, Mm -hmm. right? But when sin entered, death then followed, right? We know that sin leads to death. Yeah. And, and ever since that time, God has been trying. I mean, he is, he's not just trying, he is yeah. restoring life. Mm-hmm. And some of that has already been accomplished through Jesus. Right. And then eventually, like he will banish sin, death, and Satan forever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think I see and live in that space more than i ever have before and i you know i i would rather have been able to do this differently than what you know than how i've gotten here of course like couldn't you have taught me this a different way
0: Mm -hmm. Um, like reading a good book yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
1: but those are some of the ways that this has changed my relationship with god or how i see him
0: Mm -hmm. i think you you know you mentioned um like whole life and death and, you know, being more focused on that than before, realizing that more than before and how that was kind of morbid. I feel like, you know, the folks that I know that have been through really hard stuff that they, they are more aware of death. And that seems like something our culture, you know, obviously doesn't want to deal with. We want to focus on, um, you know, who's here this life. I want to focus on the positive things in life, but, having like that tension that you described is what gives life its sacredness. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and it gives us the appreciation of each day that we have and each moment we have with the people around us and that life is fleeting. And what are we going to do with this small precious life that we're given? Like, are we going to keep to ourselves and live a nice, quiet, content life? Or are we going to try to make our life count? Um, And I, I mean, i I think that that's that's the, that's the call for all of us, right? To realize how short yeah. our lives are and how yeah. precious the gift is that we've been given. Um, Absolutely. So, what what advice would you give to those um, that are maybe trying to support friends and family that are grieving?
1: Yeah, I think this is a a great question, and. I think through support through friends that we've had my husband and I have talked about how poorly we have done this for others mm. in the past before Caleb. It's it's helped us realize which has been very humbling how poorly we may have supported people going through difficult things in the past. And it's not like all of our friends have been very supportive. We've we've lost some friends. We've Oh wow. You know, I mean this really disrupts a lot of things in your life when you walk through something like this. But Mm -hmm. for those of you who are trying to walk alongside people as they are grieving, you know, I think just show up, right? And I think try to take pressure off yourself. You don't have to know what to say. You don't have to fix it because you can't. Yeah. You don't have to have even experienced the same thing to be good support. Mm -hmm. You don't, you know, don't try to understand if you can't. But you have to realize that your presence to someone who's grieving matters so much. Mm -hmm. When a grieving person can be seen, heard, loved, and cared for, it helps them heal. Yeah. And, And so don't discount your presence. You don't have to say anything. You just listen. You cry. I think sometimes we have a hard time doing this because it's uncomfortable for us. And, and I would, and I know that that was true for me mm-hmm. before Caleb, that it felt too much or too uncomfortable or, oh my gosh, if I hang out with this person, then nothing's going to happen to me almost like it's contagious. Oh, gosh. And, you know, and none of those things are true. And so yeah. I think just encouraging people to just be there and just know that your presence goes so, such a long way in mm-hmm. in helping those who are grieving.
0: You know, use that word uncomfortable. And I I have been there before where I've seen people going through hard stuff that even I'm friends with and I'm like I don't know what to say. I don't know how to start that conversation. That seems uncomfortable. Well, that just sounds so stupid because look what they've gone through uncomfortable is the least of their concerns and if they're if they as a person matter to you then okay make yourself uncomfortable for a little bit because that what they're going through may be something that's unimaginable and you your friend won't go through something a little bit uncomfortable be, while you're going through something devastating i just like when you use that terminology i'm like well, that sounds really selfish. <laughs> I won't be a little bit uncomfortable while my friend is is lamenting. You know, they are, you know, weeping and grieving. And I'm like, I'd rather have a good fun night with my family. And I yep. would. A lot of times, you know, I love yep. a good time and I love to have fun. But yeah, making making time for that is, it's so important. And it, you know, it's it's helping them to, you know, be able to maybe heal and to um, come back to maybe a little bit more of the person that you knew before instead of like leaving them where they're, they're sitting in this, this dark space. And, um, you know, after going through difficult loss, I don't think anybody goes back to who they were before, but they, they can become more like that person before, but they're, they're tough. They're tougher in some ways and that's good and but they're also maybe more tender in other ways and they have things that um that hurt that didn't hurt before but um they are they're still the person that you love and you care about um what do you think churches should do to help support folks that might be dealing with some difficult loss I think just giving space
1: for lament for sorrow for pain and even being willing to do that from the stage not just behind the scenes but even from the stage and I think sometimes our tendency is well if we talk about this then people aren't going to want to come back and you know and that can be a concern because then we're missing something that is a reality for a lot of people because Even if you have not lost a child, you probably have lost a different person. And even if you haven't, you've lost other things. Yeah. Whether that's a job, a relationship, a dream. And it is a part of life. And especially when you look at the Bible, there were so, there were like certain protocols almost or certain rituals for lament of wearing certain things. And, you know, having a certain time frame, like this is how long we're going to do it. and I think we've walked away from that a little bit again, because it's it's not it's not the shiny object. it's not mm-hmm. the fun path. it's not the joyful path right. always. even though joy it can lead to joy and there can be joy in the midst of it it's It's not the happy
0: right path always take. Sure. I was, as you were talking, I'm thinking, I can't remember the last time or I can't remember ever hearing of a Mother's Day message where we deal with mothers who are grieving. And right. we give, you know, a nice happy message because people come with their mom to church on son, that Sunday that they may not normally go. But I mean, how powerful would that be for folks that are grieving on a day where maybe they're left without any children? And or, you know, some reason or another, or they're just thinking of, you know, you have two beautiful children already that are sitting next to you, but all you can think of on maybe Mother's Day or, you know, important day like that is this child that I've lost. And how powerful would that be to speak to that and to, to acknowledge it and to to help bring hope to those that are grieving in that time? Um, yeah, I can... I. I don't know. I I know it's hard to be a pastor and to choose what you're going to talk about. That's not my place, but um, I, I feel like that would be something that is so powerful and so needed in churches. Um, is there any other encouragement? I feel like this has been so good to chat and to just hear about this and you've offered a lot, but is there anything else that you'd maybe want to say that we haven't addressed yet?
1: Yeah, I think an encouragement, especially right now in the time and space that we're living in during this pandemic, everyone is experiencing loss right now.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And it could be loss of life. Yeah. It could be loss of job, of finances, a home, you know, Cancer is still happening because of the pandemic, right? You know, I mean, there, these things aren't just going away. That are difficult in our life, and so everybody is experiencing some a type of loss. Even our kids are experiencing loss. Yeah. You know, I mean, it is this pandemic has touched everybody, and I think my encouragement would for you would be to be willing to go to that hard place and identify those losses and to grieve those losses and to, to lean into all of the emotions that might come up from those losses mm. and identify those things and let them come, right? And let yourself feel them and then let them go. Because yeah. if we don't identify them and if we don't feel them, they will run us down eventually and tackle us. And that's, mm. you don't want to be in that place right because then they overpower us and it's it's really kind of a difficult almost like, think of like a rock bottom type of place
0: mm-hmm.
1: versus being able to identify them experience them not judge those feelings and that helps with our processing and our healing and when we do that our grief does change forms you know and I will never be okay with the fact that my child, two of my children have died, but I know that if I grieve, my grief will change forms over time. I know that I will gain some healing. Mm
0: -hmm. Amen. That's good. That's really powerful. Um, yeah. In a time where we want to run away from things or we want to isolate or we want to not deal with it. Um, just, go to those hard places and allow Jesus to bring the healing. And I think that that's powerful. Thank you so much for talking to me today, Cassie. I really appreciate you just being vulnerable and sharing what you and your family have been through in this hard time. And um, I didn't even get to really talk about you being near to having another child in that situation, but congratulations and i wish you guys the very best i'll be praying for you in the remainder of your pregnancy Yeah, thank you so much cassie's story is so inspirational she has so much insight as a grieving mother a follower of jesus and as a counselor i hope that her story encouraged you as well if you enjoy the faithful podcast please subscribe so you never miss an episode and remember please leave a rating and review Reviews help people find the podcast so that it can be a blessing to them. Thanks again for listening, and remember to stay faithful, friends.